Okay. That's one more passage. I'm just in time to say good morning, everyone. <laughs> a very good morning to you all. If you were with us last Sunday, you'd know that uh, Pastor Phil was visiting with us and he preached that last Sunday. And the theme of his message was listening to God. And he told us that uh, there are many ways that we can listen to God. But he concentrated on prayer. He said that prayer was a very important way in which we can listen to God, in which we must listen to God. He said that prayer is not just about talking to God, but an important part of prayer is listening to God. So this morning, by God's grace, we're going to hear from God. Not through prayer, but through the word of God. Because Pastor Phil also mentioned that we can listen to God through the word of God and through the words of others. And that's what prayer is. That's what preaching is, sorry. Preaching is the proclamation of God's word. And as we hear God's word, he works in us by his spirit so that we know exactly what he wants to say to us. So this morning, are we ready to hear from God? Yes. Because God will speak. As I speak, listen for the voice of God, because he has something to say to each one of us this morning. And what he has to say is of the utmost importance, because whenever God speaks, he has something important to say. Amen? Amen. So let's be ready to listen and to hear what God has to say to us. I'm going to read through the passage of Philippians 2, 12, 18. That's what we're going to be looking at today. And as we go through these scriptures, we're going to hear what God has to say to us. Let's read that passage first. Philippians 2, 12 to 18. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God, without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe, as you hold out or as you hold on to the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you 
so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So let's establish the context of the passage first. That will help us to understand what Paul wants to say to us and what God wants to say to us. Paul writes to the church at Philippi. Verse 1, chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of God, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is writing to the believers at Philippi. And Paul established the church on his second missionary tour. You can read about that in Acts 16, 6-40. This letter was written some 10 or 12 years after his first visit. It's a warm, personal letter to a church, to believers, for which he felt a deep affection. So Paul is writing to friends. The people at Philippi, the believers at Philippi, aren't strangers to him. He knows them very well. Philippians 2.12, he calls them my dear friends. A term of affection, a term of, of friendship. He says, therefore, what's that therefore? Paul's referring to the beginning of this letter. And especially the first 11 verses of chapter 2. Paul writes to the church at Philippi in light of what he's written before. And what does Philippians 2, 1 to 11 speak of? It speaks of Christ's humility, Christ's obedience and Christ's exaltation. So what Paul has to say now is in the light of what he's just written to them. In the light of Christ's humility, in the light of Christ's obedience, and in the light of Christ's exaltation. Paul is using the humility and obedience of our Lord as an example to the Philippians. And as Paul continues his letter to the Philippians, he wants them to be reminded of the sacrifice and obedience of Christ. First verse of Philippians 2. He says, your attitude, your mind, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. He's encouraging them and also encouraging us to have the same attitude, to have the same mind as Christ. And what was that? What was Christ's attitude? What was his mind? What was his way of thinking? First of all, Paul says, he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant. That was his attitude. He had the attitude of a servant. The scripture says that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The scripture says that even Jesus did not please himself. He came as a servant. 
And Paul writes, let's have that same attitude. In fact, if you see when I read verse 1 of chapter 1, Paul described himself and Timothy as servants of Christ Jesus. Not apostles, not ambassadors, not ministers, but as servants. So Paul encourages us to have that same attitude, the attitude of a servant. Not only did Christ make himself nothing, but he humbled himself. And in his, in his humility, he became obedient, obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the attitude that we ought to have. An attitude of humility and an attitude of obedience. Do we have that attitude? Are we people of humility? Are we people who are known by our obedience? So Paul continues his letter of commendation and encouragement. Because that's why Paul's writing. He wants to commend the Philippians and he wants to encourage them. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to commend you in your faith and I want to encourage you to continue in your faith. Paul writes, Philippians 2, 12-13 As you have always obeyed that's constant and consistent obedience. Paul writes, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. That's the introduction. Let's get into what Paul wants to encourage us to continue in. Philippians 2.12 Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed. Paul recognises and commends their obedience. That is their obedience to God. Their obedience is apparent to Paul, as it must have been apparent to others. Why should our obedience be apparent to others? Why is that so important? Our obedience to God, that is what we do, what we say, is a great witness to others. The scripture says, if anyone loves me, he, she, will keep my word. Our obedience is a sign of our love for our Father and to our Lord. And it's important that our obedience to God is recognised. That it becomes visible and apparent to others. Obedience to God and to his word 
distinguishes the Christian from the world. We ought to be known by our obedience to God. It should be the mark of a Christian. It should be apparent to all. Obedience to God is a distinctive of the Christian that sets them apart from the world. Not because we're better than the world, but because of the God who is in us. He makes all the difference. Paul says, as you have always obeyed, their obedience is consistent, constant and continuous. Is your obedience to God and his word consistent, constant and continuous? There's a saying, isn't there, that actions speak louder than words. Quite often people won't listen to what we say but they see how we live and what we do and that speaks volumes. So be careful then that your actions, your activities, your behaviour, your lifestyle do not contradict what you say, what you profess. Don't give mixed messages to people. Don't say one thing and do another. It's confusing. And it spoils our witness if we do that. People don't take us seriously if our behaviour doesn't match our profession. So Paul commends the Philippian Christians for their enduring and steadfast obedience to God. So may we, as Christians, like the church at Philippi, like those believers, also be known for our enduring and steadfast obedience to God and to his word. Can anyone say amen to that? Amen. Amen. So Paul continues, verse 12, Philippians 2.12. He says, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Why is Paul absence from the Philippians? Well, Paul's absence is due to the fact that he's writing from prison. The letter of Philippians is written from prison. That's remarkable, isn't it? Paul's circumstances does not deter or prevent him from writing letters of encouragement to others. Paul's focus is on the needs of others, not on himself. If you or I in prison, what would be our focus be? Would it be complaining about our circumstances? Why, Lord, why has this happened to me? I've been preaching your gospel, I've been going around, sharing faith, building churches. Why am I now in prison? What's happened? Why have you got me here, Lord? But that wasn't Paul's attitude. His attitude was, my circumstances are a possibility for me to minister wherever I am. In prison, it says that he ministered to the prison guards. And all in the, the palace knew of Paul's faith. So Paul wasn't depressed, discouraged or disheartened in prison. He saw it as an opportunity to extend his ministry 
to others. And we ought to have that same attitude. Wherever we are, whatever our circumstances, it's an opportunity to share our faith and to encourage others. Paul is a good example to each one of us. Paul was a minister of the gospel, but if you know the life of Paul, he had many ups, many downs, he went through many troubles, many negative situations, but it didn't stop him from pursuing his purpose that God had given to him. In fact, it seems that the more Paul was oppressed, the more he was chased, the more he was imprisoned, the more he was beaten, the more his faith seemed to shine out, the more he seemed to pursue his purpose that God had given to him. So don't let difficulties prevent you from pursuing God's purpose for your life. Let it be an encouragement to keep going to pursue God's calling on your life. Let's not be discouraged. Let's not be disheartened. God has a purpose for each one of us. And we need to pursue that purpose. And as we pursue that purpose, God's kingdom will be extended. God has a part for each one of us to play. God has called us out of darkness into his marvellous light. And he wants us to shine as lights in the world. The scripture says that a lamp that's lit shouldn't be placed under a basket, but it should be set on a candlestick and it shall bring light to all who are in that room. So God wants us to shine as lights. Are you shining as that light that God has called you to be? Are you developing and maturing in your obedience to Christ and to his word. Philippians 2.8 says, Jesus became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The obedience of Christ led ultimately to his death. He was willing to make the ultimate sacrifice. Are you willing to make the ultimate sacrifice? What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to do without? What are you willing to forego as you pursue God's purpose for your life? Jesus' obedience was to the will of the Father and he pursued that will as the scripture says, even unto death. Matthew 26, 39, Jesus prays, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Thy will be done. Only those who are fully submitted to the will of the Father are able to persevere and persist in their obedience to the Father. So are you fully submitted to the will of the Father? And are you fully committed 
to obedience to Christ? These are questions we must ask ourselves. Where do we stand in our commitment to the Father? Where do we stand in our obedience to Christ? Philippians 2.12 Paul writes, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. Obviously we do not work for our salvation. Our salvation is a gift of God which comes by faith. Our salvation is received by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So we're not working for our salvation, but we must work out our salvation. What does that mean? Our salvation has to be manifested. It has to become apparent. There must be external evidence of the internal work that is of our salvation that God has done in our lives. Salvation and the Christian life is not a private, personal thing that's kept to ourselves. It must be expressed. It must become apparent to all. Those who are saved must give evidence of their salvation by their behaviour and by their lifestyle. Each one of us is a witness and we must witness to the world what God is doing in our lives must be expressed outwardly. The scripture says that the whole of creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. The world is waiting for us to express ourselves, to manifest what God has placed in each one of us, who God has changed us to be. The work that God is doing in our lives must be expressed. It's time for us to rise up to go into the world and be the people that God has called us to be. Each one of us has a purpose. Each one of us has a calling. The scripture says that God has prepared good works for each one of us to do. And the world is waiting for us to express those good works. Unless we do that, the world lacks something. The world is deficient. If we don't pursue and fulfil our purpose, there's a lack. God has made us as individuals so that each one can fulfil our purpose. We're not clones of each other. Each one has a specific work to do. And God has designed and made us to be that person, to fulfil his purpose. So don't worry if you're not like someone else. You're not meant to be like someone else. You're a unique person. God has made you to be exactly who you are and how you are to fulfil the purpose that he has for you. So be that purpose. Don't try to be like somebody else. Don't say, oh, I wish I was like so-and-so. You are who you are because of God's work in you.
because of God's work that he has for you to pursue and to fulfill. You know, sometimes I think to myself, I'm going to get into trouble here. <laughs> I think to myself, oh, why couldn't Gloria be more like me? <laughs> why doesn't she think like me? Why doesn't she do things the way I do things? Why doesn't she see things the way I see them? But that's wrong. Gloria's not meant to be like me. She's her own unique person. God made her to be the person that she is. And if she was like me, one of us would be unnecessary. <laughs> I don't know which one. <laughs> and if she was like me, the church would be missing something. The community of Perivale would miss something. My family would miss something. Her family would miss something. The world would miss something. If you are not who God called you to be, the world is deficient. The church is deficient. Your community is deficient. Be who God has called you to be. Amen? Yes. Amen. And don't expect to be like somebody else. And don't like, expect you to be like someone else. God has called you to be, to, to be who you are. Be who you are. Be who God has called you to be. Amen? Amen. Paul says we are to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. That's the fear of the Lord. Reverent respect for God and for his word. The scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Psalm 111.10 And Proverbs 1.7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That doesn't mean being afraid of God. It means having a reverent respect for God and for his word. Hebrews 5.7 says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard. Why? Because of his reverent submission. He wasn't heard because of his loud cries and tears. Sometimes we think that God hears us because of our loud cries and tears. But that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says that Jesus was heard because of his reverent submission. His loud cries and tears were a product of his submission. They came from that. But his father heard him because of his reverent submission. So does God hear you because of your reverent submission? Do you ever think sometimes maybe God isn't hearing me? <laughs> he isn't hearing my prayers. Could that be possible? Is it because your life is not submitted to him? Could that be possible? That's what the scripture is telling me, that Jesus was heard because of his reverent submission, for no other reason. Not because he cried. Not because he wailed. Not because he weeped. Not because he felt sorry for himself. But because he was submitted to the Father's will, the Father heard him. Could that be a lesson? For us today? Perhaps it is. Yes. 
So let us continue to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. Why? Philippines 2.13 For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Yes, it's God who's working in you. God is working in each one of us. We can be assured of that. God has not left us alone to work out our salvation. The life that we live as Christians, we don't live on our own, under our own steam. God is with us. He continues to guide us. He continues to work in us. He's constantly working in us to will and to act according to his good purpose. And God has a good purpose for each one of us. God has a good purpose for the church. God has a good purpose for the world. God has a good purpose for the earth. In fact, God has a good purpose for everything, which ultimately results in the praise of his glory. Everything is created to bring glory to God. That includes me. That includes you. And God has a good purpose for each one of us. Let's pursue that good purpose. Let's continue to allow God to work in us. And as he works in us, that good purpose will be fulfilled in each one of us. Everything that God creates, he creates for the praise of his glory. You are created for the praise and glory of God. That's fantastic, isn't it? Some people don't know why they've been created. Some people have no idea of the purpose of their life. Some people are depressed, disheartened. If only they knew they have been created to bring glory to God. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Romans 8.28, very familiar. And we know, yes, we do know, we don't surmise, we don't think, we know that all things work for the good of those who love God, who have been called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that everything is good. <laughs> it says everything works for good. Everything that happens to us isn't necessarily good. But God is able to work that thing for God. Because we love him and we have been called according to his purpose. And his purpose will be fulfilled in our lives. So he works it for our good. So since God has only good purposes for our lives, it's only right and sensible that we should surrender our lives to him. That makes sense, doesn't it? God loves me. He has the best for me. He has only good intentions for me. So it's only right and sensible to surrender my life to him. 
Because as I surrender my life to him, his purposes can be worked out in my life. For my good. Amen? And as we surrender our lives to him, we allow him to work in our lives. So that we will act according to his good purpose. Let's keep going. Philippians 2, 14 to 16. Let's read that. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. So Paul gives examples of how we can continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling as we allow God to work in us to will and act according to his good purpose. Paul says, do everything without complaining or arguing. <laughs> I'm laughing when I'm saying that. <laughs> wow. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Wow, who lives up to that? If doing everything without complaining or arguing is a sign of our salvation and of God working in us, how many of us was qualified as being saved? <laughs> if that's the qualification, do everything without arguing or complaining, who would qualify? <laughs> I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. <laughs> Those who are saved those who have received God's salvation understand that they have nothing to complain or argue about. Did you know that? That you've got nothing to complain or argue about? That sounds revolutionary, doesn't it? Everybody thinks they've got something to argue or complain about. But as a child of God, you've got absolutely nothing to complain or argue about. Mary's looking, Marie's looking at me... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Incredulously. Very good at <laughs> But it's true. Why do I say that? Philippians 4.19. Paul writes, And my God shall meet, shall supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And Psalm 103.19 says, the Lord has established his throne in the heaven and his kingdom rules over all. So then, if God meets and supplies all of our needs, and he does, what have we to complain about? I can't think of anything. And if God's kingdom rules over all, and it does, what do we have to argue about? If God is meeting all my needs, I've got nothing to complain about. If God's kingdom rules over all, all will be well with me. I'm in very good hands. God is well able to look after me. 
Don't have to argue with God about anything. Don't have to complain to God about anything. He's going to look after me. He's going to meet my needs. <laughs> Do you believe that? Yes. Do you believe that's possible? That you could live the rest of your life without complaining or arguing? Okay. <laughs> God is in complete control of everyone and of everything. Do you believe that? He is. So as God continues to work in us, we can have complete and utter confidence in Him. That He will provide for all of our needs and that He is in complete control of all of our lives. Amen. Amen. Verse 15, Paul writes, So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Wow, that's a tall order, isn't it? Blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. Who's Paul speaking about? He's speaking about us. That's God's intention. That we ought to be blameless and pure. That we ought to be children of God. Without fault. In a crooked and depraved generation. A very high calling. A very tall order. But that is who God is calling us to be. So how can we become blameless and pure and without fault? Only by God's grace and only through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, working in us and working through us. And Paul says, in a crooked and depraved generation. And indeed we do live in a crooked and depraved generation generation and you don't have to take my word for that you just have to look around see the circumstances in which we live observe the nation that we live in and the world that we live in the community that we live in and you will see that indeed we do live in a depraved and corrupt generation I'm not saying everything's bad but everything is not how it ought to be. Paul tells us that we will shine like stars in the universe. We ought to be like lights in the world, shining like those who are put on a candlestick to give light to all those in the room. So don't hide your light. Don't put your light under a bushel. Express who God has called you to be. Be who God has called you to be. Shine as lights. And Paul tells us that we will shine like stars in the universe. So the darker the generation, the darker the universe, the more crooked and depraved, the brighter the stars will shine. 
Amen? Amen. So shine. Shine like lights in the universe. Verse 16, Paul says, as you hold out, as you hold on to the word of life. As God works in us, we display our confidence in God. Hold it on, hold it out to the word of life. The Christian life is a life established by the word of life. And the word of life is the word of God. In John 6, we read, From this time, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed Jesus. And Jesus said to them, You do not want to leave, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And those who are saved hold on to the words of eternal life. 1 Peter 1.23 For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Matthew 4.4 Jesus answered, it is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes, that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Hebrews 1.3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful <coughs> word. So, hold on to the word of life. You've been born again, according to the word of life mm -hmm. your very existence depends on the word of life and you are continually sustained by that same word of life amen, amen. i've said quite a bit it's a lot to take in but i'm sure as i've been speaking god has spoken to you whether it's just one phrase, one word, receive what God is saying to each one of us today. So Paul, why is Paul writing this letter? Paul loves and cares for the believers at Philippi. Verse 16 reveals Paul's intent and purpose for writing this letter. He says, in order that I may boast... On the day of Christ, that I did not run or labour for nothing. Paul's intent and purpose in writing this letter is to encourage the believers at Philippi, also to encourage us also, by extension, to continue to work out their salvation, our salvation, with fear and trembling, as God continues to work in them and to work in us, to act according to his good purpose. Why so? So that on the day of Christ, when Jesus comes and the church is presented to Christ, Paul will be able to boast in regard to the Philippine Christians that he had not run or laboured in vain. So that we may boast on the day of Christ that we have not run or laboured in vain.
Paul was called and appointed by God to be the apostle to the Gentiles. His ministry and purpose was to take the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. But the success of his mission would only be revealed on the day of Christ. When it would be revealed how many he had impacted and encouraged by his ministry. So, on the day of Christ, when Jesus comes, when the church is presented to Christ, how many people will be revealed to have been impacted and encouraged by your ministry, by my ministry? Paul's love and care for the Philippians would produce good fruit, good results, and his ministry would not be for nothing. Paul's sacrifice, his ministry to the Philippians, and its results would be revealed on the day of Christ. Our ministry, our good fruit, the good results of our lives will also be revealed on the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul encouraged them to be glad and to rejoice with him. It's good to rejoice as God continues to work in us, to will and to act according to his good purpose. So let's conclude. What has Paul said in this brief message to the church and believers at Philippi? First of all, the letter is written to encourage them, to be a source of encouragement to them, and also to be a source of encouragement to us. We are called to live a life of consistent and constant obedience to Christ. In any and every circumstance, may our obedience continue to grow and to become apparent to all. Let's continue to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. Let's express externally the work that God is doing in each of us internally, accompanied by reverent obedience to our Heavenly Father. As we submit to God and as He continues to work in us, to will and to act according to his good purpose. As we continue to make sacrifices and as we continue to serve our Lord, let's be glad, let's rejoice. Why? Because we know that our labour in the Lord will not be in vain. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you.